Good morning. <laughs> in the sermon series, Represent, we've been learning from different people in the Bible who have represented God's kingdom in the world and seeing ways that our sin can also get in the way of our representing God's kingdom. And today we also celebrate Reformation Day, the day that we in the Lutheran Church remember Martin Luther's courageous stand to hold only to the word of God as his authority, even though people in positions of power wanted to silence him about what he discovered in those sacred pages. In Martin Luther's day, people in power in the church wanted to make money for their own ambitions, namely building projects, by charging people for what was a free gift of God. Martin's problem with this was not the building of cathedrals. It was the misrepresentation of God's character. Jesus freely laid down his life to give us the gift of his redeeming grace. It wasn't right to tell people they had to pay to receive God's forgiveness when Jesus was the one who paid the price. Telling people that made Jesus out to be some kind of mercenary instead of a loving, self-giving, rescuing savior. And Luther could not let that misrepresentation of Jesus' character stand. And so when threatened with probable death, when he was asked to recant, to take back what he said, Luther bravely stated, unless it is proven to me by scripture and clear reason, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. This did not lead to an easy life for Luther. But it did lead to a movement where Christians were encouraged to read and know the word of God for themselves, to only let Jesus tell us what Christianity, the following of Christ, is, no other voice, to only let the word of God inform us of God's character and of our calling as his kingdom representatives. And today, that's even more important than ever, a true gift of our Lutheran heritage. And so today, we continue to learn from the Word of God about the one that our lives represent. Today, we're learning from the story of a man named David, who from the time he was a very young boy tending sheep for his family to the time he was an old man passing on his legacy as king to his son, he was known as a man who, no matter where he found himself in life, found his identity first in being a man after God's own heart. David is a fascinating person, a real Renaissance man. He's a poet who wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible. He's a talented musician who had been called to play for the king when he was just a boy. A warrior, whether in protecting sheep or leading armies of thousands in protecting the people. A statesman, a judge, a ruler, and most of all, a devoted worshiper of the Lord. As we heard this morning, David had a bold faith in God when he was just a boy, so much so that he wasn't intimidated by a giant because he knew his God was bigger. But David's confidence wasn't in himself. I come before you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. He knew this was God's fight, so much so he didn't see the point of putting on armor. Trying to protect himself created more problems than it solved. So he decided to go just as he was, trusting he had the armor of God's presence. And the whole army who witnessed David's incredible faith forgot their fear and remembered with awe whose they were. The God who had opened up the Red Sea to bring them into freedom had not forgotten them. Had they forgotten him? See, David's heart was something special because he represented God intentionally. 
And it's what had led God to send the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse before David fought Goliath. And after going through all of Jesse's sons presented to him, Samuel had to ask, do you have any more sons? (laughs) Well, the youngest one's in the field. Somebody had to watch the sheep. Well, go get him. He's the one. God doesn't judge by appearance, but by the heart. And David's heart was the heart of a king. So Samuel anointed David the new king when he was just a boy. Can you imagine knowing that that was going to be your future? David, of course, was in no hurry. He was willing to wait until the time was right. Because the problem was, of course, there already was a king, Saul. God was not happy with Saul, indicated by the early selection of his replacement. But Saul didn't want to hear that, and he wasn't particularly interested in stepping down either, which you can imagine made things all kinds of awkward for David, who never asked for this especially since David became best friends with Jonathan, Saul's son, and after winning some key battles for him, in thanks, King Saul arranged a marriage between David and Saul's daughter, Michael. So now David was also Saul's son-in-law. But the more people grew to like David, the more agitated Saul got. And you can imagine how awkward the family dynamic got when Saul started trying to kill David repeatedly. And David spent years intermittently serving the king by commanding armies to save his people and hiding from the king so he wouldn't get murdered by him. Twice, David could have killed Saul but chose not to, making a point to tell him, see, I'm not trying to kill you. I am not interested in taking a rule that's not given to me. And Saul, seeing this, repented both times and both times within months went back to trying to kill David. Many of David's psalms of lament in the Bible, he wrote while hiding from Saul, crying out to the Lord how unfair this was, that his enemies were so doggedly after him, crying out to the Lord for rescue and relief. But eventually the day came when Saul was killed in battle, not by David, and the people called David to become king. And eventually, King David arranged for the Ark of the Covenant that had previously been captured to be brought to Jerusalem. And as it entered the city, David was so filled with joy and worship that he stripped down to his linen ephod and he danced with all his might before the Lord with all the crowd and with so little decorum that his wife Michael later told him that he made a fool out of himself dancing half-dressed in front of servant girls. And in 2 Samuel 6, David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. You see, what David knew was that even though he was called to be king over the people, his king and their true king was the Lord alone. So as king, his first duty was to honor God and to do so in worship among his people. That was the best representation he could give. Whether he was a shepherd boy or a king, he was a man after God's own heart. And after becoming king, David sought out those who were left in Saul's family. And unlike most kings at the time who would kill all remaining family members of the previous king to prevent rivals, instead, David sought them out to bless and provide for them. Not the way things are done when one's biggest concern is protecting oneself. Instead, David acted to protect God's reputation. 
And David also was quite unusual in who he chose to listen to. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is a spunky woman named Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, who had ended up marrying a very foolish man named Nabal. And before coming king, David and his men had done Nabal a favor by protecting some of his property. But instead of saying thank you, Nabal insulted David. And servants brought that news to Abigail, and she immediately ran to intercept David, who was steaming mad and about to teach Nabal a lesson by destroying all the things that he had protected, and then some, when Abigail reached him, threw herself on the ground and pleaded to him to forgive her husband's foolishness, to see instead her gratitude and that of all the people in the household and in the fields who did indeed see how David's actions had blessed them. Basically, Abigail was saying, yes, Nabal has the position of head, but he is not representing us. His words don't accurately represent what everyone else in this household feels toward you, so please hear our voices instead. Now, this was extremely bold for a woman to do, to step in to represent the people being misrepresented, to keep them from being killed in a war not of their own making. It was not something that would have been culturally sanctioned at all, but she did it anyway. <laughs> I mean, what does she have to lose? So courageous. And David, mid-rampage, stopped and listened. He recognized good sense when he heard it. And he honored Abigail by sparing her people. This is even more astounding in that time of history for a man like David to listen to and be swayed by the wisdom of a woman of no position or power. But David heard God's wisdom in her words. In 1 Samuel 25, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Completely amazing. <laughs> David here is not representing at all how his own culture works, but recognizing and representing the way God works recognizing that sometimes God's wisdom can be delivered through the voice of a woman, not what the man of the culture would do, only a man after God's own heart. There's so much to admire about David, which is why it's so deeply disappointing when he falls, and he does. And what it took for that moral and spiritual decline to happen was a period of comfort, power, privilege, Time, and frankly, I believe, boredom. <laughs> so many of the worst sins of this world come from too much power and too much boredom, a lack of purpose. See, when David was an older king, he no longer went out to war with his generals. And while he was just hanging around the palace one day, he saw the wife of one of his generals, Uriah, bathing on a roof basic and basically used his power as king to coerce her into his bedroom, and she became pregnant. And to cover up this bad behavior, he had Uriah, her husband, killed by putting him in harm's way in the battle. And then he married Bathsheba. Every part of this story is despicable. But then God, out of love for David, sent Nathan to bring David's guilt into the light so he could see it, confess it, and repent of it, so he could become again who he used to be. You see, when you are going in the wrong direction, you can't fix it by going faster. <laughs> you have to stop, admit that you're going the wrong way, and turn around. There's no other solution. 
So God, loving David, sends Nathan to wake him up. And see, God knows David's heart so well. He knows that deep down, David is still just that shepherd boy, longing to take care of the sheep and talk to God under the stars. And so that's how God has Nathan approach him. God has Nathan tell David a story of a shepherd who tenderly cares for one beloved sheep that a callous rich man steals to kill and serve at his own dinner party. When he's got hundreds of his own sheep he could have chosen from, instead he takes the one that belongs to this poor shepherd that he loves like a pet. And David is furious at this ugly injustice until Nathan tells him, David, you're the man. That's what you did, David. That's who you've become. Is that who you want to be? Because that man doesn't represent your God. And David is wrecked. Because he sees and he knows it's true. And he wrote Psalm 51 as his confession to God. God, I'm guilty. Only you can make me clean. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He saw what that looked like in Saul. What I want most, God, is you, and I trust that a truly repentant heart you won't despise. Think about this for a moment. (laughs) This worst sin that David has ever done, a pretty terrible, terrible sin, uh, this public confession is part of the Bible. (laughs) You have probably spoken these words before. Think about the humility it takes to publish your most public confession. True repentance. And God restored him. Before he died, David became again the man after God's own heart. And what made David such a great man of faith wasn't his psalms or his battle victories or kingly rulings. It was this. His ability to see and confess when he was wrong. To confess to God, I need you to help me remember who I am meant to be. To be the me that reflects and represents you. Whether I'm herding sheep or ruling the people, I need you to be my king because nothing matters without you, God. That's the cry of David's heart, and that's what made him great. You see, many generations before Jesus came, Jesus, who would be known as the son of David, David knew the God he served, and he knew that whether one was facing a giant or one's own sinful mistakes, there's only one who can be our rescue. David knew what Jesus' arrival, Jesus' sacrificial love on the cross, and Jesus' resurrection would one day show all the world that our greatest strength can only be found in confessing that we need a strength greater than ours and receiving it from the one whose saving power is a pure gift of his grace. David would have recognized the heart of God in the verse that opened up Martin Luther's heart to the truth of the gospel from Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. David would have recognized himself and the tax collector in Jesus' parable in Luke 18. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
You see, when we were still sinners, lost in our selfish pride, Jesus came as God's chosen king, fully God, fully human. When in our sin we could not achieve righteousness, Jesus chose to die with our sin and give us his righteousness instead. And when we'll confess our weakness, our sins, and open our hearts and hands to surrender them into the Lord's care, we find that we are given in exchange a power and a grace that's bigger and more beautiful than anything we could ever achieve. Because he is a God who's after your heart. And he always has been. And today, out of real love, that same Lord also asks you and me, who are you? Who do you want to be? What does your life represent? See, in this stressful, strange season of human history and the what-in-the-world reality that 2020 seems to deliver daily, it's easy for us, out of our demands for comfort, out of boredom, out of fear, to let the infections of greed, pride, arrogance, or distrust pollute our spirits. Aggressive self-protection becomes the armor we seek to put on, but that human armor is cumbersome, and it doesn't easily fit the movements of the representative of the living God in the world. Our actions must reflect our Lord's desire to serve and protect those around us. But our true protection is always and only in his presence with us. So if the Nathans of this world have been reflecting back to you someone that you don't recognize in yourself, someone you don't want to be, it's time to realize that our strength, beloved, is in confession. As David said, a contrite heart you, O Lord, will not despise. Scripture tells us those that the Lord loves, he rebukes. Not because he's mean, but because he wants us to grow toward the light, not the darkness. So if you feel rebuked, thank the Lord that he loves you. And turn your heart toward his light, because he has a new beginning waiting for you in his grace. See, the beauty of the Reformation and our celebrating it every year is to remind us that we, as people after God's own heart, as his church, are always in need of Reformation. We constantly need the leading and the reforming touch of our Savior's forgiveness and grace to mold our hearts into people he can use to shine his kingdom light in the world. So this week, like David, may we have the courage to admit where we need Jesus' reformation in our hearts and to humble ourselves before our king so we might be made new because his power is made perfect when in our weakness we seek his strength. And may this world see in us those who find our strength in the one whose kingdom is greater than this world and whose love changes everything. May this world see in us people after his own heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior and our King. We thank you, Lord, for the witness of David, um, who was not perfect, uh, far from it, but who had a love for you that you could use to shine your light um, through the good, through the bad. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to bring our hearts broken to you and to be made new by your redeeming love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As people who find power 
in confession. Confession is a, a movement that we are going to move into next. I'm going to read David's psalm of confession, some selected verses, Psalm 51. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen, just to, to read it out loud and just to give you some time to let it be your confession before the Lord today. Please prepare your hearts before the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Hear the good news from Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Beloved, God loves you enough to want you to know life in the light, his light, not just now but forever. And he loved you enough to send his son to make it so. So in Jesus' name and in the power of his blood, what you have confessed has been forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace that makes all things new, even us. Amen.